I'm going to talk to you for a little while today. The one thing, the one thing we can do. Look at your neighbor and say, the one thing we can do. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me go on uh, and read the remaining part of this dialogue that Jesus was having with his disciples. But I'd like to, if I can, go back to the very first verse that we read, verse number four, and lay necessary groundwork. The Bible said much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city. He spake, the Bible said, by a parable. People came to him and I, I want to kind of set this in a, in a way that you can understand. Oftentimes we feel like our perspectives and our experiences are the only, the only perspectives and the only experiences that people are going through, that everybody relates and understands where we are because it is reality to us. But the truth of the matter is cities are different, communities are different, families are different, and individuals are different. And we all have our own cultures. We all have our own way of approaching life and facing things that come to us. You can be in one community and uh, see prosperous things happening and go to another community or city and folks are suffering. You can go into one family and things seem to be uh, on the rise in their life and you go to another family and everything's falling apart around them. The, The scripture is specific here when it says that there were much people. Many people came to him, and I like this, that they were come to him out of every city. So I just want to throw this in from the beginning, that there were people there from different cultures, different communities, different backgrounds, different experiences, different struggles, different blessings, and they were all in the crowd together. Um, This is something to me, and it speaks volumes because the scripture said in that setting, people coming from all of these different places, that Jesus spoke to them in a parable. What What he has to say can relate to anyone and everyone, no matter where they've come from. No matter what their culture is, no matter what their past is, no matter what's going on in their life, if, if they're on an economic rise or if things are uh, seeming to fall down around them. He spoke to them in a parable. He did not go into this teaching qualifying saying, this is only for those who have everything going great in your life. Or this this is only, everybody else just tune me out for a little while. I'm just going to speak to those who are struggling with life. Or though, he, he didn't do that. He just shared the word. His word will find a place in everyone's life, no matter, no matter where they come from or what's going on in their specific situation. So he gives them the parable of the sower, and not often in the scripture do we read his his explanation of the parable that he was teaching from or talking from. A parable is nothing more than an earthly story that helps people relate to a heavenly principle. So it was something that he wanted them to understand, but the only way that he could get them to this place of understanding was by sharing a story that they may be able to relate to. And so if you can imagine Jesus is talking to this crowd, and he said, it's it's like that 
gentleman right over there that is in the field. They were in an agricultural time and place. And so he pointed things out that were natural for them and they had understanding of so he could reveal something spiritual and heavenly to them. So he said, it's like a sower that goes out in the field. See the guy over there with a bag around his shoulder and and all the seed that is in the bag, he's going out. And as he's Spreading this seed all over that field, some of it is falling on the wayside, some is falling on rocks, other is uh, in the midst of the thorny areas, and then there's, there's good ground that seed falls into. And he, he's explaining this, and his disciples said to him, what does this mean? What, what are you trying to tell us? And then he comes back in the scripture, and he said, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. This is an interesting phrase. He said, Now, they just said, we don't know what you're talking about. Explain this to us. And he said, but you know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It's it's given to you to know these things, but to others in parables. So I was speaking to those, the crowd, in parables, but you We're supposed to know what I was talking about because the mysteries of the kingdom are revealed to you. Then he comes back and he begins to explain this. He said that seeing they may, they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. He said the, the, the gentleman is sharing the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear then come, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. In verse 15, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with Patience. So he comes back and he explains those four different types of ground. And I will not spend a long time here today, but I will take a few moments to say this. The way the mysteries of the kingdom of God are revealed to us doesn't, doesn't mean that we're better than anyone else or we're in a greater standing with him than anyone else. The way the mysteries are revealed to us, they're revealed to us through the preached Word of God, through the taught Word of God, through the communicated Word of God, through prayer, through the study of His Word, because we see here it was His disciples in this crowd of people that came from many different backgrounds that they were the ones who said, what, what is this parable about? And as far as we can tell, he did not continue on in the teaching to the entire crowd. He specifically shared with his disciples what the parable meant because they were the ones asking for understanding. Here's what happens in the house of God and in services like this. We come to a place where God is trying to speak to us and we may or may not understand what he is wanting to say. So what he does is he uses the preached word of God, the shared word of God to 
unravel the mysteries of the kingdom of God. There are people that are outside of the kingdom who cannot even began to wrap their brain around what you and I believe. The reason they can't wrap their brain about it is the mystery has not been revealed to them because they have never encountered the taught or preached word of God. The explanations that come. We can see it in the book of Acts when a gentleman is riding in a chariot and he's reading out of the Old Testament and uh, God sends an anointed man of God to join himself to the chariot and when he joins the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch, he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no, I don't understand because I don't have anyone to explain it to me. I do not have anyone to share with me what this means. And so Philip begins right there with what the man was reading out of Isaiah and he begins to preach to him and explain to him Christ. Amen. So mysteries are unraveled when we're in settings like this and the word of God is brought to us in explanation. So he explains wayside and rocks and thorns and and good ground and what happens with each one of them. I'm going to focus for a few moments on the third one that he was talking about that, uh, verse 14, and that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Now this is interesting. Fruit, the seed that is sown, the potential that is there never comes to perfection because of the thorns that choke out the potential that was there. And he says in this that those thorns are cares, riches, and the pleasures of this life. Now, I can't preach it all today, so I've only uh, chosen to take one of those, which is cares. He said cares of this life have the potential of choking out Fruit that should come from the seed that is sown in our life. I've been around church my entire life and I've observed people who attend church, claim to be in church, are a part of a church, but if you take inventory of their life, many times they're no closer to God today than they were the very first day they walked in. There's no maturity. There's no fruit that has grown to perfection. Now, there's not a problem with the seed. There's not a problem with the word. There's not a problem with it in many cases, and I need to qualify that, uh, being communicated or or explained. You can go somewhere and, and... and they don't explain anything. But here, we, uh, we try to, like Ricky, we explain something to Lucy. Amen. We, we do what we can to say, here is what the Word of God is saying, and this is how you can't shout your way into knowledge. You can't jump, run, talk in tongues your way to an understanding of the Word of God. You, you can't be spiritual enough. The Bible says 
Shout to show yourself approved unto God. Speak in tongues to show yourself approved unto God. What does the Bible say? Study to show thyself approved unto God. So the study of the word, the explanation of the word, the teaching of the word, the delivery of the word that comes into people's life has the potential to bring change, bear fruit, bring it to perfection, but some never get there. They stay in the same place that they've always been. One of the reasons this happens is because the cares of this life. When they walk out the door, the cares of this life began to choke out the potential that was there. You don't just sit in church and mature in God. You sit in church and walk out and refuse to let the cares of this life dominate your thinking and your life. You have to allow it to begin to grow, remove the cares, and the seed will produce the fruit Amen, that it was intended to produce. You get that? Everybody understand what we're talking about? And here's the deal. We all, we all, everyone in this building represents a different type of ground. And that different type of ground will fall into one of those four categories. Doesn't matter who you are, what your challenges are, what you've experienced, what's going on in your life. You will fall into one of those four categories. And here's the interesting part of that. We all choose which category we will fall into. Life doesn't choose that for you. Circumstances do not choose that for you. Situations do not choose that for you. You choose to either be wayside, rocky, thorn-ridden, or good ground. And, and here's, here's, here's what's interesting, CC. This can change in all of our lives from week to week, service to service, month to month, season to season. We may go through a time where we are receptive to the word of God and we're good ground and it's happening and we see all this growth and then all of a sudden nothing and we go through a season where it seems like we can't even hear from God and, and, and we feel resistant. Something in life upset us and so we're resistant, we're hard, we're against everything or we're so consumed with what's going on in life, we can't stay focused on the Word of God because this situation and that situation and my health and my work and my family and my stress. And, and we may go from being good ground to stony ground, and in those moments we have to recognize where we are and what we are allowing to happen in our individual lives and say, wait a minute, I'm not staying in this season of wayside, indifferent to everything, just on the fringes, not connected with the church, not in fellowship, not a part of groups, not involved in the ministries, not going with the church in the direction it's going, just hanging out with nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows. No, what we do know is you've chosen to be wayside. That's not the church's fault. That's not the preacher's fault. That's not God's fault. That's not the word's fault. That's your decision. You decided to be resistant to any help. You decided to allow the cares of this life to overcome. Let me preach to you today and say he highlighted this when he was talking to his disciples. When he was unraveling the mystery, he said, I want you to know that the cares of this life can literally choke out 
the potential of fruit bearing that you have. Oh God, help us to understand this. Amen. I, I thought I would just give definition to care. In Greek, in the Greek, it's the same word. It shows up only a few times in the New Testament. And with this Greek word, there's a there's a dual meaning. One part of it is care, the other part of it is anxiety. So he is saying the anxieties of life will kill the potential for change that you have. And Care is a state of mind in which one is troubled, worried, or possessing anxiety, having concern. It's a cause or object of worry, serious, serious attention that's given. There's caution there. On and on it goes on. Grief, suffering, care takes on grief. So if you go through a season of grief in your life, Most of the time, if you're grieving, you're not growing, okay? Let me just be plain with you today. Let let, let me just be honest and get where we're living. If you go through a season of grief, and we all face things, the loss of loved ones, the loss of uh, dreams, whatever it may be, and we grieve, don't stay in that place of grieving beyond what is needed to get you through because you cannot grow and grieve at the same time. Well, I've just been hurt. Well, okay. You're telling me you're in a standstill and the potential of growth is not there right now. Don't let that linger. Amen. Don't let that stay too long. Well, I'm suffering. And then out of this, we find that um, in this care and anxiety, anxiety is distress or uneasiness of mind, it's all back to the mind again, caused by fear of danger or misfortune. So we have a fear that danger is headed. We have a fear that misfortune is coming our way, and so anxiety takes over the mind. And when anxiety takes over the mind, it begins to dominate the body and break down the health. And we're living in this state where we cannot grow at that moment. We can't get to where. And so he said, if the seed is going to produce the fruit that it's intended to produce, you cannot let anxiety fill your mind and your life and live in that every day. It will not happen. And so he's saying, choose to be good ground. Choose to be the kind of ground where you say, I refuse to let the cares of this life constantly dominate my thinking. I'm not getting up every day thinking about it. I'm not laying down thinking about it. I'm not waking up in the middle of the night stressing over it because I can never get to where he wants me to go or his fruit produced in my life living that way. All right, I could preach the whole message just right there, but I'm going to hurry along to Luke 21. Here we are, several chapters later, Jesus is speaking again, and he said in verse number 34, and take heed to yourselves. Everybody shout, it's my responsibility. He said, take heed to yourself. Not everybody else's business. I preached at a conference several years ago, and the message I preached was mind your own business. And I preach that to preachers, thousands of them. 
Because preachers are worse than anyone to get into everybody's business. And they don't take care of their own business. Want to run everybody else's life but can't run their own life. Mind your own business. Get to work in your garden. Not everybody else's. Picking out everybody else's flaws. Seeing everybody, everybody else's shortcomings. Every other church is not doing it. Listen, folks. He said, take heed to yourselves. Least at any time your hearts be overcharged. He said, your heart, if you don't mind your own business, if you don't take heed to yourself, you will be overcome. Your heart will be overcome, overcharged, overtaxed. You will live in a place where you cannot even survive if you do not take note of your own life. This is what he is sharing in in the few verses that I'm going to read here, 21, 34 through 36. He said, uh, the cares of this life. Here he is naming several things, drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unaware. So the approaching of the coming of the Lord, the things of God come into our life and we're not even aware of it. Because we haven't taken note of our own lives. We're minding everybody else's business. And it happens and we didn't even realize that he was showing up. Because of the cares of this life distracted us from what meant or should mean the most. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. And to stand before the Son of Man. He said if you're going to escape what's coming. You have to mind your business, your life. Make sure that the cares of this life are not causing anxiety to you. I know some people that can't figure out if it's Monday or Sunday. They can't figure out if it's time to get up or lay down. They don't know if it's time to return the call or send the email or read what's in front of them because there's so much anxiety that they're living in. And he said in those last days, if you let the cares of this life and anxiety rule you, you will miss the coming. You will miss what happens and you will not be worthy to stand before him. God, help me to understand there's more to it than visiting the altar. There's more to it than just saying I've been filled. There's more to it than just going down in his name. You have to live every day saying I'm taking interest into my own life and making sure that I'm not letting anxiety and stress and and worry and fear and concern come my way and steal my hope. Jesus was clear in the 8th chapter and in the 21st chapter. He talks about the kingdom and he highlights with the same word, cares of this life, anxiety. If there is a kingdom connection in your life and if there is potential for growth within the gospel if you will it will never transpire in the atmosphere of anxiety if you're going to grow in God and connect with the kingdom and share truth and it is advancing in your life it will never happen if you're consumed with the cares of this life it will never happen if anxiety is ruling your every waking moment let me preach to you today and say take care of yourself make sure that when the enemy 
enemy tries to encroach that you say, no, no, not today. I'm not spending the next eight hours fretting over something that I can't do one thing about. We get so full of pride that we think we can rule our own life. We can handle any situation. I can work through anything. There's some things I can't fix. There's some things I can't change. There's some things I can't work through. It doesn't matter how many books I read or how many conversations I have or how many training sessions I go to. I'm human. I'm frail. I'm finite. I'm limited. I'm earthly, but he's not. Hallelujah. He is eternal. He is powerful. He is mighty. He knows the end from the beginning. That's the God that I'm preaching to you about today. There is no shadow of turning in him. There is no limitation in him. And what I can't fix, he can. What I can't change, he can. What I can't heal, he can. What I can't be freed from in my own power, he can work it out. I said he can work it out. Amen. There is absolutely no no question about it. In the atmosphere of anxiety, you will never grow any stronger in the kingdom. Never see any advancement in the gospel in your life. If you're going to make a difference in this world, you have to free yourself of cares and anxieties that try to rule and dominate our every waking moment. And so there's no question about the day we're living in. Never before have we seen so many people with anxiety and care and stress and worry and fretting and uh, prescriptions and help and counseling and friendships and all this stuff going on. You know, I'm telling you the truth. This day, it's like a plague among us anxiety, children, not even able to communicate well, already diagnosed with things. Hey, folks go through life and seems that everything's okay and then somewhere way down the road, well, we're going to diagnose them with anxiety. We're, we're going to, hey, we're living in that. I can't do one thing about uh, the climate. I can't do one thing. I know, I know, listen, green whatever you want to green, but uh, Try. It ain't going to change one thing. We're headed for the judgment of the Lord. Clean it up. Fix it up. Work it out. Get up. Be a part of any cause you want to be a part of. But one day, the judgment of God is coming. And it doesn't matter how clean or perfect or nice. He said, I saw a new heaven. Not a old earth, fixed up, remodeled. Look, things look great. And I'm not for being, you know, a complete idiot about all of this. Just trashing the world we're living in. You don't have to do that. There's plenty of people out there already doing it. I grew up in, I grew up in Texas, and so there was a slogan there, don't mess with Texas. Now, people thought that was a carryover from the Alamo, but it really wasn't. <laughs> it was just an initiative to get Texans from throwing their Whataburger bags out the window as they drive down the country roads. Anybody? If I said FM 1960, do you know what FM means? For means Farm to market. So that was the road that went from the farm to the market. We lived off FM 1960, farm to market, because it, it wasn't an interstate. It was just an old two-lane two lane dirt road, and then all of a sudden it started expanding in, into other things. Well, folks used to like to throw stuff out all over the place. They're driving, just throw things out the window, not taking time to put it. And so they 
came up with this slogan, don't mess with Texas. And, and that was it. So, you know, I agree, don't do that. But here's the fact of the matter. I can't make the sun shine. I can't make the earth spin. I can't cause gravity to stay intact. There's some things we can't do one thing about. I can't make decisions for other people. I can't change their opinions. I can't rearrange their lives. I can't cause them to love me, agree with me, or support. I can't do any of those things. I can't change what my children are going to do when they get older. I can't change what happens on the job. You can't change that. You can't add one ounce or inch to your structure. You can add ounces if you eat too much, but you can't... You you. you <laughs> You, you can't change some things. And there's a lot of stuff that I can't do anything about. I can lay awake all night, worried, stressed, danger, potential, mishaps, things coming. I can't do one thing about any of that. But the same guy that was standing there asking the question with his buddies, what does this parable mean? was the same guy that was standing there in the 21st chapter when he began, he heard the Lord say, listen, take care of your own stuff. Make sure you're ready. The same guy wrote these words years later when he was faced with adversity. He had come through that whole teaching time and, and all of the sacrifice of the Lord. And now the attack was not just launched against Christ. It was launched against them. And he was seeing his buddies die and people give their lives. And they were under attack. And all of this stress in their mind and, war and life was going on. And this is what Peter wrote in the fifth chapter in verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. It's the very same word that he heard Jesus speak in the 8th chapter of Luke. The very same word that he heard Jesus speak in the 21st chapter of Luke. Now years later Peter is saying humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you in due time. But if you don't do anything else. Make sure you cast your cares on him. For he cares for you. I can't change some things. I can't do some things. But one thing I can do when I can't do anything else I can take my anxiety I can take my cares I can take my stresses. I can take my fears. I can take my concerns and cast them on him. Hallelujah. Because the Bible said he cares for me. He knows where I am. He knows what I'm facing. And in the midnight hour. I can lay awake or I can give it to him. Hallelujah. I can receive what they're saying on the job and be fearful about my tomorrow or future or I can say God it's in your hands. You gave me the job in the first place. I'm taking all these cares and putting them on you. If I don't then my life and mine will be dominated by things that will keep me first from growing in God and second from being ready to meet him when he returns. See, heirs of this life, well, I'm just going through things, just worried about a few things. Be real careful when you willingly give in to that over and over and over again. It literally will strip from you your potential of growth and cause you to miss what he has coming your direction. Let's stand together. Tell your neighbor, say, cast your cares on him.
Cast your cares on him. Cast your cares on him. I found that casting our cares on him is virtually impossible if we have not humbled ourselves first. In humbling ourselves, we're saying, I'm not depending on my ability. I'm not depending on my wherewithal. I'm not depending on what I can fix and handle and work out. I'm depending on you. Because what I can't do, you can. What I can't change, you can. What I cannot fix, you can. What I cannot turn around, you can. And so I cast my cares. This is, this is a week we declare our independence as a country, but it's a weekend where we declare our dependence on God, saying, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. I promise you, no matter how headstrong you are, no matter how much you think you have it together, life will deal you something that you did not expect. And if you're just trying to do it on your own, don't be surprised if the adversary doesn't put some kind of trap together that is fit just for you. Here, here's, here's, here's the difference, and I, I close with this. The only difference that I've observed through the years pastoring people, the only difference I've observed between people that are growing in God and people that are not. I've preached to some people hundreds of times, and they're no closer to God and no not in any better shape than they were when they first walked in after hundreds of messages I preached to other people few times and just quickly you begin to see change in their life and growth in their life and fruit in their life and like wow preaching to the same people and some have been hearing it for years and nothing has happened and others are hearing it for the first time and all an exponential growth has come to their life all this fruit and all that the only difference the only difference is this some choose to just keep putting things on him and others keep choosing just to carry it by themselves want to grow in God you want to be mature in him you want to get to the next level cast your cares on him keep casting them on him keep casting them on him keep casting them on him 10 years later keep casting them on him 20 years later keep casting them on you keep casting your cares on him he'll keep working in your situation and you'll look back and say look where the Lord has brought me from look what the Lord has done in my life look how God has come through in my I don't want to be the same two weeks from now anybody else I don't want to be the same spiritually three months from now or a year from now I want to be closer to him and the way this happens is I have to keep depending on him anybody want to step out and come round this front and pray with me for a few moments here